In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Get a whole new perspective on Ram 1500 and Ram Heavy Duty, Motor Trend's back-to-back truck of the year at the Ram Start Something New sales event. Now during Owner Appreciation Month, financing at $11,250 in total values on the 2019 Ram 1500 Classic Bighorn Crew Cab. Hurry in for great deals during the Ram Start Something New sales event. Financing for well-qualified buyers through Chrysler Capital. Not all buyers will qualify. Package values based on combined value of package items. Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery from dealer stock by 2-3-2020. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis from all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. And today I'm joined by AJC Editor-in-Chief Kevin Riley, my boss's 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 boss. Hey, Kevin, how are you? It's good to be here with you. And we're going to talk about a very interesting experience, uh, first in a uh, once, for most people, once in a lifetime or never in a lifetime experience of, of testifying before Congress. You did a couple days ago. We want to really get into the nitty gritty of what it was like, why you were there, and the, the really the experience. Um, but before we do that, let's just talk about um, the, the, the legislation that you were there um, to talk about overall. Yeah, so uh, without making this too complicated, right, let me try and summarize it in a, in a really simple way. Uh, the newspaper industry is trying to get Congress to pass a bill that would give the industry what's called a safe harbor against antitrust laws. And the reason for that is the industry wants to negotiate with the big technology companies, uh, Google, Facebook, all these companies that leverage our content for their business to try to get a better deal. Because right now, those two huge platforms, along with some others, completely control, more or less, the distribution of digital content and the news that, that people read digitally. And... This is an amazing fact. I mean, people won't believe this, but the antitrust laws actually protect Google and Facebook from us, Hmm. if you can believe that. And in order to uh, try to do something about this, the newspaper industry is seeking this legislation because, as you might imagine, even the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, we really can't get anywhere negotiating on our own with Facebook or Google. So the idea would be that the whole industry could do it and there would be people doing it on behalf of the industry. So it's not it's a very small step. It's a very simple thing and we're not asking the government to step in and do anything or you know there you, you'll hear these calls break up Facebook. We're not into any of that. We're just saying hey, we don't want to face an antitrust violation if we go as a group and say 
this needs to work a little bit better for us than it's working now. And there's this amazing part of your testimony, and I'm paraphrasing here, but there's this part of your testimony where you, where you said that the AJC has never had more readers than it does now, but yet it's facing uh, these, these financial whirlwinds where it's harder to make a profit than ever before. Right. In fact, that was in response uh, uh, to a uh, question from Congressman Hank Johnson. Mm-hmm. And um, what it is is this. Uh, you're right. And, and, and I was making the point that we're just like virtually every other newspaper you would consider a peer or even close to a peer of ours, right, never had a bigger audience. Well, when you look at the financial situation, people hear that and think, oh, you must be doing well financially. But in fact, you're not doing as well financially because all of the investment you're making in news, like sending a reporter, say, to California <laughs> to cover a failed gubernatorial candidate, which costs a lot of money in the case of this particular reporter. I got a very good hotel uh, in, in Expedia rate. So Okay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll see when uh, I get the expense report just how good that was. But in other words, we make a huge investment covering local news, which is expensive. And in the American way of business, you make an investment, it does, the product you make does well, you usually reap the rewards of that investment. And I made the point of this, this news economy that's been created doesn't make any sense because newspapers in particular spend, spend that money, mm-hmm. make that investment, have a lot of success with, with garnering audience. And you know that, you're part of it. I mean, your coverage of, of politics in the state gets a huge audience. And instead, the Facebooks and Googles of the world in the way that this sets up can reap the rewards of that financially. So we're just trying to say, if journalism is going to continue to thrive in our country, this economic setup is not going to work, and we have to find a way that's fair. And that's what we're asking for as newspapers. This, this is just doesn't seem fair. Let's see if we can come up with something else. And you made the distinction between national news outlets that are, that are doing fairly well right now and, and local news outlets that are struggling and doing the coverage that no one else is going to do. And, you, and you, you highlighted a few examples. One of them was the Atlanta Public Schools cheating scandal. The other was the City Hall corruption uh, uh, coverage we've been doing uh, on the investigative route. And then another one was the coverage at the state capitol where we've seen an environment where there are there are fewer and fewer reporters from outside of Atlanta there and with the and the outlets that are in Atlanta you know have one or two people where we have a bureau of seven or eight plus a lot of people who come in and come out covering issues that otherwise would not get covered period right in fact if you if i wanted to uh, give you one reason that i felt uh, responsibility to go and testify at that hearing and why I really wanted to make sure I did a good job in that testimony, that would be it. Because when this stuff gets debated, and you know, you can turn on any number of news shows uh, on the cable networks and on radio uh, and, and hear people talk about this, it's always this discussion of great big news companies, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and how this is all working out for them. Well, Look, that's important to us, too. I mean, we obviously want to see those kinds of news organizations succeed. But the New York Times can sit down with Facebook and say, okay, hey, let's Mm -hmm. figure out how this is going to work. But uh, you can't do that. The Savannah Morning News can't do that. And that's where we really have to pay attention to things because that's where the most important news for most people gets covered. And then the other thing I was trying to point out was, you know, this is a discussion about media, it's a discussion about big tech, it's a discussion about politics, but really 
it's a discussion about Americans and their access to information and their access to media and how well media performs for them. And that is at the basis of our country. I mean, our founders created the First Amendment because they wanted to have a thriving media. And that's been one of the great success stories of American society is despite some of the flaws in the media and some fringe media, we have the most vibrant media environment in the world. And we have the potential to be the best informed society. And we really can't let that kind of stuff slip away from us. But when you're in Washington, understanding that, I think, is a, can be a little bit hard given the information people are exposed to. Because when you turn on CNN, it's all about the, the Trump controversy of the day, whereas, and, and you pointed this out, but, uh, and so did some of the, uh, the lawmakers um, over, the, over the course of the testimony, but it's, it's, it's the local and state issues that have much more of an impact on readers' lives in many cases than what whatever's happening, whatever the big debate in Washington. Right, and as you know, that's part of the reason. And I talk to you know your colleagues and the folks who cover the state house. One of the reasons we do it is state government has huge impact on the lives of Georgians. The decisions that get made in the legislature really impact regular people. The other interesting thing about the hearing is that there was no partisan split in the interest on this issue. They, both sides, really wanted to know a lot of things and made strong statements. Now, I think that they come at their concerns about big technology companies from different places. They have different things on their minds. And I think ultimately, when they try to figure out what they want to do, there could also be some separation. But I was surprised. I mean, even even so, the chairman of the subcommittee is um, Cicilline from Rhode Island, mm-hmm. right? He's a Democrat, and you see him on CNN. And I mean, this is the Judiciary Committee, so these are people who, on the Democratic side, are pounding away at President Trump. Dealing with the subpoena crisis, all that. that yeah. yeah. In fact, they had one of the reasons that their the hearing started late and all that was because they were voting on that that uh, effort to. Um, to uh, you know, enforce the subpoenas, and when the uh, when the subcommittee hearing opened, uh, Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the overall judiciary committee, was there and spoke. You know, in fact, my uh, my letter inviting me to testify is signed by him. By Nadler. Yeah, I kept it because I'm my my idea is like, look, this guy's going to make some history one way or the other. You know, he's probably be a pretty potentially famous person in America. He'll be history. a character in a play and in, uh, in, yeah. in, in many books. It was funny watching the YouTube channel waiting for the testimony because it was all the string of debate and I don't think the, the people watching YouTube realize what the what this panel would exactly be about because they're all going back and forth about subpoenas and who's right and who's wrong about compelling Trump officials to testify and whatever. And I was like, guys, this is a little bit different. Well, you know, that was one of the other funny things that happened because between the time I got the uh, – the invitation yeah, let's talk about to that. testify, yeah. which which um, which I should tell you came in an email, and um, so of course I thought, wow, this is interesting. You don't get an email like this every day, and um, then I thought, I-, I wonder if it's like a prank or something. I better check. So immediately checked the, the the name of the guy who sent it and phone numbers and stuff, and it turned out he's an attorney, you know, like counsel to the to the subcommittee, and so uh, it was. But what happened, so I, I agreed, and there were details to work out, but I, I basically said, hey, I, I'll do this after, you know, running it past a few people, including some editors in the newsroom who I really trust, mm-hmm. and making sure I understood what the hearing was going to be about and what role I would play. But then after I agreed to that, that was when uh, the 
uh, Democrats announced they were going to launch all these investigations. The, the, then we heard the Justice Department was going to launch one. And there was this very coordinated, we are really going to look at these big tech companies. So I remember telling like my kids and my friends that, look, this will probably be uh, one of these hearings where there's no one in the room. You know, <laughs> It won't be like James Comey or something like that. And then what happened was there was suddenly all this interest in everything uh, that was going on. And this was the first actual concrete event after they said they were going to do all this stuff. And, of course, that was why Nadler was there and Collins was Mm -hmm. there because they're technically not on the subcommittee. And they were there to kind of say their thing and make their statements about where all this was going. And the room was packed. So there's a packed room. So let's walk back. So you get the email. You make the decision to go. And and look, there's always a worry these things could backfire. So talk about why you decided to, to, to end up testifying. Right. So one of the things that um, I thought long and hard about, right, and you would understand this because we actually tend to deal with this at the state level much more than the federal government level, is this. As journalists and, you know, as the leader of our newsroom at the AJC, we don't want to be lobbying. We don't want to be advocating. We really don't want to be in in there making news. We want to be covering it and we want to have a little bit of Mm -hmm. arm's length, right? And so I was stepping dangerously close to that line once I agreed to testify. And I knew that, you know, lawmakers and, and others, including other journalists, would would probably position me either on purpose or just without thinking about it as an advocate for the bill. So I was pretty clear in my conversations with everybody that I could talk to that I was going to do it for two reasons. The first is to do all I could to inform this debate and this conversation and ultimately, you know, this this effort in Congress to maybe do something or make moves about this because, as I mentioned earlier, people don't understand how this affects local media, right? And then the other thing is just that as the editor of one of the, you know, big regional newspapers in the country, I've learned the hard way that when we step back and try to stay at arm's length and be, you know, be objective about it, not get in the fray, that can be interpreted as we don't care about it, we're not interested in it, or it doesn't affect us. And I'll tell you when that happened. Um, I went to see, I was up in Washington and and had a talk with uh, Senator Isaacson last year. And that was when there was all this controversy about tariffs on newsprint, the paper we used to print. Remember that Mm -hmm. there was one company in Canada and President Trump was doing this and there was, and I meant, you know, I, I asked him about what was going on because he had he was either getting ready or had uh, talked or testified at the Federal Trade Commission, and he he his response was, "Well, I hadn't heard from you on it, and so I didn't think it was affecting you or you didn't care about it." And all I was really doing was saying, "I'm not sure that I should be saying anything and somehow appearing to him to push a position or anything yeah. like that." So it's a really hard thing to do, and I'm not sure I've got it right. I mean, I I'm just being honest with the listeners of this podcast that. We, we work really, really hard to make sure that we're fair and that we're perceived as fair. But we're in a, we're in a situation here where, you know, I, I care deeply about our business and I care deeply about its impact on Georgia and Atlanta. I don't want to sit idly by and hope the right things happen. I would like people to understand what could happen and what's going on. And some of the criticism about that hearing before, before it took place in the days reading up to it was, came from media critics who said essentially um, 
why give the newspaper industry a second chance when it was literally printing, you know, money not so long ago, a few decades ago, and making huge profit margins and didn't adapt to quick enough to the changing uh, economy. Right. I mean, I, that there there's that line of criticism among media critics and academics, and and I think that's a fair line of questioning and issue to issues to bring up. What I would say about it is a couple of things. The first is remembering the vital role that local newspapers play, as we talked about earlier. In other words, there are things that, and and this is what I pointed out in my testimony, there are things local newspapers will do that there really isn't anybody else to, to replace them, right? And then the other thing is, despite the fact that newspapers were an enormously lucrative business for many, many years, many decades, um, they aren't anymore. But it's also important to remember that in many, many cases, particularly our case in Atlanta, the very family that owned us used so much of that money that was made to support Atlanta, to support many, many Atlanta causes. And I point that out because it's true in many places, but also um, newspapers have a stake in their own market. They're not some huge Silicon Valley-based outfit where the people who work there are are not even connected to what's going on. So I think that the role newspapers play is sometimes not as well understood as opposed to, you know, uh, some other companies that just don't have a stake in the community. And, they, and one of the case studies you used to, to, to exemplify that was the Atlanta Public Schools cheating story. You said, what other company would go invest this much money, spend this much time, because it was years when it, when it all came down to it, years worth of, of investigations and, and, and stories that helped expose um, a, a rampant cheating scandal um, that the business community and many, many vested interests in Atlanta and Georgia would rather have us not exposed. Well, think about that story for a second. And I, I, I you know, am, am uh, often asked about it. First of all, it played out over five years. I mean, what other media organization spends five years on anything? Mm-hmm. And, and, and we did. And not only that, and I, and I always make this point when I talk about it, so most of the very significant reporting that was done was done before I became editor, mm-hmm. right? And so I always point that out because I came during the, the, the height of the public pressure, right? Well, think about that. We changed leaders in our newsroom during all of this coverage, and we still stuck with it through, through, through thick and thin until we got to the answer. And it, that, that is a historic story. I think that is a story that, you know, when the history of Atlanta is written, it will, it will be mentioned. And I do think so many wrongs were righted because of that reporting. And you're just not going to get that because other media organizations, it's not that they don't care, they, 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 they wouldn't want to do it, but the capacity to do that and to stick with it for that long and to dig that deep into it, that's what we do. Let's talk about the mood of, of the testimony because you were kind of the face of local local journalism there at that hearing. I was disappointed you didn't have a uh, have you no decency, uh, sir, <laughs> moment. But... Um, but it, it, it was a packed audience, a lot of attention. Were you nervous? Well, uh, you know, uh, the short answer is somewhat. Um, but I, I uh, do enough public speaking that uh, I knew how to, um, I knew how to overcome that. 
Uh, and I'll tell you this. Let me tell you a little story. Then I'll tell you what the thing that made me most nervous. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we should also talk a little bit about the enormous preparation that this takes and yeah, what yeah. Congress requires of you. I thought it would be kind of fun and cool to be a witness, which it was, but it was also a ton of work. Um, so uh, one of the things I did to kind of relieve my tension and, uh, privately was, you may have noticed, and anyone who watched me have noticed, I wore an orange tie. The reason I wore an orange tie is that is my wife's favorite color. And she kept asking me, you know, what tie I was going to wear in that. And I wouldn't tell her. And so once she saw me, I knew that she would know that I had done that for a reason. So in my head, it was like this little distraction and fun that I was having that no one else knew about, you know, mm-hmm. so that relaxed me. The other strange thing for me was, um, again, people who watch this will notice, I read a statement. You have five minutes uh, to, re- to give an oral uh, testimony. And I, when I give speeches, and, and yeah, you'll see this at staff meetings and things too, right? I never read. Mm-hmm. I, I always um, use notes and talk a little bit extemporaneous, you know, yeah. a little bit, what, what's that off word? Off the cuff. Yeah, off the cuff, right, yeah. And um, so the idea of reading worried me because I didn't want to be stilted or seem insincere. Um, but uh, and then the only other thing was uh, Collins, uh, Representative Collins' introduction of me really threw me off, and you're to blame for that. Uh, so let's get into it now. So the way <laughs> the way the the way the testimony works once you're there is um, there were six witnesses, and the chairman Cicilline, uh he introduces a witness. And then that witness goes for their five minutes, mm. and then he introduces the next witness, and that witness goes for five minutes, and so forth. So I'm the last one. I'm number six. Well, suddenly he stops the process, and and uh, Representative Collins says, "Well, I'm going to introduce this witness," and I'm just like, "Uh oh, what's going on?" You know, I'm like, "This is." Do we have a recent story about him that maybe? Yeah, <laughs> like are they going to su- are they going to surprise me here? You know, something was going on, and then uh, it turns out that he has texted you to give information beyond the bio that they expect you to provide. Now, at first, I, when I first heard that, I said, well, that's good, because I was listening to the credentials of all the other people. I'm like, oh, man, I don't think my bio is going to hold up very well. These people are you know, famous law schools, all this stuff. And uh, so then he, uh, he gets into what you've told him, and, uh, and I'm thinking, Bluestein's in trouble with me because he should have let me know what Collins was going to do, and then I could have told him what Collins should say. But, yeah. but so why don't you talk about your side of that? So story? I was in LA, as you mentioned, on that trip uh, to cover Stacey Abrams in Hollywood, and uh, it was—I don't know—I I can't sleep well, um, period, anymore, to be honest. But but I got up at like five or six, and I was on a jog, and in the middle of the jog from West Hollywood to Beverly Hills, I get a text saying. Uh, any fun facts or good stories? We're introducing Kevin Riley today, and I didn't think that much about it, and certainly didn't think <laughs> that I was going to be. It was going to be read directly into the congressional testimony. So um, I wrote something out. I can read it. Yeah, right. Um, he's the type of editor who encourages his reporters to experiment and try new things by doing it himself. Shortly after the AJC unveiled the personal journey feature, he wrote a masterful story about a World War II veteran returning to the French battlefield for the first time since the fight, helping to unlock a 69-year-old mystery in the process. And when we started getting deeply involved in podcasts, hey, Kevin headlined a session of The Breakdown Show focusing on the murders of two young Atlantans. And as we faced more demand to tell stories in different ways, Kevin has been on the forefront of going on TV and radio to share our work. It's not just, I'm not just sucking up. It's a perfect case of lead by example. I wrote that, I don't know, on some sidewalk, um, uh, texted it um, into those guys, and then didn't, honestly didn't think again about it until right around 
2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time where I'm getting texts saying, hey, they just read, Doug, Representative Collins just read exactly what you texted into the uh, into the testimony. So I said, crap, now you're really going to think I'm a suck up. <laughs> well, well, so I have you to thank in 100 years when some great, great, great grandson of mine is doing family research and uncovers this in the uh, in the congressional record he'll he'll try to figure out what all that was about but one really once I got over the sort of disruption and, and, and confusion uh, because they had changed the process one really really good thing that happened as a result of that is that when when representative Collins mentioned that story about the World War two veteran that was actually a chunk of my planned oral statement as an example of the unique kind of story a newspaper like ours would do. And I had right. I had been unsure about how well that would work as I was preparing. And uh, what happened was I was literally working on it when I got a text from Shirley Sessions, the widow of that uh, soldier. And she had been watching the D-Day stuff and had been doing a lot of crying, according to her text. And um, she just said, I can't tell you basically how much those stories have meant to me. And I thought, well, that's a sign that I should go ahead and have the confidence to include this in my testimony. So Collins and you, without realizing it, really set me up well. And I can tell you that I, as I told that story, I could see that resonating with the members of the subcommittee. And one of them referred to it later when they asked me a question. So it all worked out, but you, you, but I I would not be optimistic about your year-end evaluation. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> so let's talk about the, the preparation, because I imagine congressional lawyers, our lawyers maybe have gotten get, – get, did, did, did you get coaching about what to say? Were you ner- or Did you get a lot of instruction about how this happens? Do we have to hire some or, or get some, some sort of counsel to, to make sure you didn't say anything incriminating? Right, right. Well, um, so a couple things, but let me remind people that my, my column in Sunday's newspaper – so we're, we actually record this on Friday, and I think it will be available to listeners on Monday. But if they, if they go back to the Sunday paper or they want to go online, my column is really a recollection of all the details of getting ready, which we really don't have time to do here. But I, let me just say a couple things and then get into uh, uh, my, my personal struggles in case people are interested. Uh, the requirement, there are several requirements that they don't tell you apparently until you agree uh, to, to testify. The first, of course, is that you are, your actual testimony is written and has to be submitted beforehand for them to read. And that can be as long as you want it to be. In fact, based on my looking at what other witnesses did, one guy submitted like 111 pages. You know, Now, in the newspaper business, we know we never get to write as long as we want. So I think mine was four, four or five pages, and it was, it was um, uh, you know, and it's similar to my oral testimony. But interestingly, uh, I got some advice from a former congressman who, who, will, who I will not name, um, about like how I asked him how to like when it comes to this five minutes of oral testimony, what's the best way to do it, and and that's really why I did what I did with telling some stories because the advice I got was look, they got to listen to this stuff all day long. Do not read your written statement. Don't just throw a bunch of facts and stats at them. Make give them something to remember, something to attach to, something that will make sense to mm-hmm. them. So that's why I told the stories about the cheating scandal, the doctor sex abuse, and then uh, the story about the World War II soldier. And it turned out to be very good advice. Um, but 
you know, when you when you have to really think about this and imagine, and, and at first I was worried I would have to explain this whole issue from top to bottom, and then I realized the other witnesses would handle a lot of that. And uh, the only other worry I had was um, if I would have had to go first, would my will my testimony make sense? Mm-hmm. And I went last, and that really worked out. And so they already kind of laid the groundwork. Yeah. The, you also have to, um, as I mentioned, give them a like a bio, resume, CV, um, depending on how you Did want you to do it. Did you have to go it. update your resume for the first yeah, time? Yeah, I mean, time. I'm here at the AJC for uh, almost nine years now. I mean, I haven't looked for a job uh, for a while, I'll, although after this, maybe I will be. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> uh, no, all kidding aside. And then you have to fill out a what's called a truth and testimony form, right? Mm-hmm. And um, what that is is just, you know, I think they're guarding against paid witnesses or witnesses of uh, who have interests that they might not reveal in the in their uh you know, in their testimony. So that's kind of easy because working for a newspaper, we, we, we that's yeah. well within our normal ethics thing. So, um, and then of course, uh, you're, you're, you have to deal with like the logistics, like what am I going to get there? What am I going to do? I mean, where am I going to stay? When am I going to eat lunch? You know, all that stuff. Um, so uh, we actually, I actually, with some help, because Cox has a staff in Washington that does a bunch of stuff up mm-hmm. there, they were able to, I could go to their office, and then um, I had appointments. I went and saw uh, Congresswoman McBath, Congressman Johnson, and Congressman uh, Collins mm-hmm. ahead of time, just kind of say hello and, you know. A lot uh, of Coke and peanuts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you know, when you go up there, the, the deal is right in their offices. When you go in their offices, they're a lot, they're not allowed to give like free gifts to people who come and visits or constituents unless those products are made in their state yep. and below a certain value or something. So yeah. they all have like bags, little bags of peanuts in their office and stuff like that. So it's it's the easy uh, quick lunch if you if uh, at the state capitol too. If you're ever hungry, you just grab grab up a bunch of peanuts and coke and you're set yeah so it was um uh by the time you know i actually was able to read my you know my statement mm-hmm. it, it, there had, it had been such a long wind up i was like i'm glad this is finally happening uh and they were probably glad to hear some more anecdotal stories too about the value of local journalism rather than the the big picture well i could tell that um now again, when we when we as you know average people watch congressional hearings or testimony, it tends to be huge dramatic stuff. James Comey, you know William Barr. Mm-hmm. But I think that what we we may not realize is that if you're a typical member of Congress, you're sitting through an awful lot of that kind of stuff, and much of it is highly technical uh, and detailed based on specifics. So um, I was probably I had the sense I was a little bit of a unusual witness in that regard because you know as a journalist you have a fair amount of freedom I'm not too restricted in what I could say um, all I'm really trying to s- figure out is like how can I can con- how can I contribute information to what they're going to be dealing with that will be meaningful and will help them understand like the impact if they change the law or they they create new regulations you really want them to do it in a way that they that's fully informed of the potential impact right and and that's uh there a lot of people aren't aware of how this works i mean i had a friend call me to ask about the hearing and they this friend was shocked to find out that Facebook uses our stories and doesn't pay us to use them in the mm-hmm. way that I mean one of the reasons Representative Collins is so interested in it is he worked on the music stuff. 
with all of that, working out how are, peop- how, how are these services going to work and offer some sort of remuneration to the artists who provide those songs. Mm-hmm. So he, he's pretty knowledgeable about it. And, I, and, and I, you know, I mean, talking to him, I think he really cares about it and recognizes that when someone creates something, uh, that, that thing should not be used by someone else without some kind of remuneration for the person who created it because that process of creating it, like writing a story or creating a podcast, it's work, it's time, it's money, it's effort. And uh, someone just coming in and using it doesn't seem fair. Yeah. And I think Collins, I think he recognizes that. So you can prepare your written testimony and, and, and oral testimony, but it's harder to prepare for whatever questions you might get, right? So what, what was it like being on the other, because usually we're the ones asking the questions uh, and we're the ones who make people <laughs> nervous and, yeah, yeah. and feel off guard. You know, I think as someone who, who you know, is more or less a spokesman for our newspaper and does a lot of this stuff, that's one of the hardest things for me because as a journalist, deep respect for the questions, right? And um, we ask all kinds of questions all the time of you know, almost everybody we run into, like your job. I mean, you have to ask questions of the governor. Sometimes those questions are not questions he wants to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, they are questions that you know are potentially anger someone. So I, I do two things. I try to absolutely respect the question, right? And then offer real information uh, uh, in response to the question. Um, in the case of Congress, um, it's a little bit different than, than dealing with a journalist. And so, because as you know, if, if you watch this or you watch almost any hearing, the, the idea of their five minutes of questioning often is like four and a half minutes of railing or, or making statements and then finally asking a quick question yeah. of the witness. And so what I did in preparation um, was like I mentally had – about five, six things, and I five or six things, and said, you know, they're probably going to ask these kinds of questions. You can kind of anticipate them. And if, in response to this question, I'll kind of, this is the point I would like to make. You know, I, again, as journalists, we don't like anyone who tries to spin things or tries to like not answer our questions. And But the, based on the questions I got, I got very specific opportunities. And as you mentioned earlier, like talking about reporters at the state legislature, because that was in response to what real impact on the ground does this kind of economic stuff mm-hmm. have. And, you know, I mean, it's so apparent to us at the Capitol during the session that you go into like, you know, the House press room uh, at the Georgia under the Gold Dome and there's nobody there but us, or there's like one other person from from a news organization, and, and it used to not be that way, and there's no way to look at that and feel good about it. I mean, I know that it might feel good to say, well, no one's going to have this story but me in the whole state, but it would be way better for the state if we you. had more people. I was, and you've heard me rail about this, but 15 years ago when I first started covering the Capitol, there was three reporters from Savannah, Augusta, Macon, uh, Savannah, Augusta, and Athens chain. There was a reporter from Macon, a reporter from Chattanooga, a reporter from... Uh, from from Tallahassee, a reporter from Columbus, all over that, and and that competition is good. And I and that engagements, speaking engagements, I tell those stories as well about how I shouldn't necessarily be breaking stories about what's happening in Augusta because that should be the Augusta Chronicle. But there's 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 no one here who covers state government there anymore, and it's harder. Yeah, and and and, and you know, it's, I think it's important, to, you know, as we're talking about it, to say we're not we're not. Uh, criticizing people there at those uh, newspapers and organizations. Um, And, you know, part of what happens to us is, uh, 
and I know that you feel this, I mean, it's an enormous responsibility to be one of the few people covering some of these issues. And we really have to think about getting it right, being thorough, considering how it might affect people, even though the lion's share of our audience is in Metro Atlanta, mm-hmm. a policy can have a different effect you know, elsewhere in the state. Um, so it's, uh, again, I think over time, I, I'm optimistic that our industry will figure this out and that good things will happen and that ultimately um, uh, we'll do more and better journalism, you know, as a group of mm-hmm. journalists in Georgia. And, and it's really important to me just personally. I mean, I, I didn't say this at the hearings, but you've heard me say this, is Georgia is one of the most important states in the union. And it is only going to get more important by virtually any measure. Now, politically, it's going to get more important because it's it's moving toward a swing state. And as you know, I came here from Ohio, yeah. and that that's a different environment. Which is you're... moving towards a more solidly Republican right, state. Right, right. So. And, and I think that because of that, the necessity for Georgians to be very, very well informed and for media organizations to really vet candidates and policies will will be crucial. And we're going to have a big role in that. And we're very committed to it. And I hope that uh, there'll be more and more people doing that because um, that will lead to a state that ultimately makes better decisions and has a better future. Were there any questions that totally caught you by surprise that, that, that you did not expect whatsoever? No, not for me, although there were a couple moments as a witness when someone would ask a question, and I'd think, well, I'm glad they're not asking me that. <laughs> and then uh, one bit of advice I also got in advance was it was okay to punt. Uh, because, again, I was, I was not there to suggest policy or remedies to this or, or like, criticize any, you know, any of the big tech companies or anything like or that. Or speak globally about the entire, you know, national. You, know, you were focused more on the local aspect. Right. right? And so, you know, inevitably someone wanna, kind of wants to uh, ask you a question like that. And at one point, the, the guy, the, the representative from the News Media Alliance, which is the newspaper trade organization, who was also a witness and who I know, I even said that I, I thought he would be better to answer that. And I offered, you know, a small a bit of information. And um, I did that, again, just because uh, it, it sincerely I felt, look, the, they are seeking information. I have to believe, despite our, as journalists, our natural skepticism sometimes of politicians, I have to believe that they are interested in learning all they can about this. And that's my job here is to make sure what I uh, talk, talk to them about is clear, understandable, and correct so that wherever they go, they understand its implications. So what's next for the legislation and when are you testifying before the Senate? Well, you know, I wonder, I, I wonder about that. Now, there are, uh, there are two sponsors in the Senate of this legislation. Uh, the, the Republican sponsor is Kennedy of Louisiana and the Democratic sponsor is uh, Amy Klobuchar. Um, She's a little busy right now. Yeah. So I, you know, some people are, are not sure about uh, where this will go. And as you know, Washington moves, um, doesn't move at uh, great speed, typically. Glacial um, is an overstatement. Yeah. Uh, but what my personal interest in this is uh, I'm not going to worry so much about the politics because there are people who are concerned with that and the trade organization will push that. And, but I just want to make sure people know about this, both local leadership here in Atlanta and Georgia, our readers and other people. In other words, the situation that we're in when it comes to the big technology companies um, is is a situation that 
has to be more deeply understood and people have to respect that maybe changes need to be made so that local journalism can continue to thrive. And I like that message. I like talking to people about that. I'm going to be doing a lot more of that because now that it's out in the open and this this whole thing got a whole bunch of – I've heard from so many people um, – uh, my picture was in the Wall Street Journal, so uh, that that was a, an amazing thing for me. Uh, my my brother called me. He goes, I couldn't believe it. I was up. I was going through the Wall Street Journal, and there you were. And I'm like, yeah, that was really something. But the good news in that is it's getting attention because the next question is, why were you doing that? What were you talking about? Um, it, why were you in front of Congress? And it gives me the opportunity to talk about it. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, no, this was great. I, I am, a, of course, a listener and a subscriber to the podcast. I appreciate how hard everyone involved works on it. And I'm just uh, honored, you know, when Bree sent me the note and asked me to be part of it, I was like, wow, I have finally arrived. I get to be part <laughs> of this podcast. I've been on many others, but never this one. So uh, anytime, I'm happy to come back. Deal. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Get a whole new perspective on Ram 1500 and Ram Heavy Duty. Motor Trend's back-to-back truck of the year at the Ram Start Something New sales event. Now during Owner Appreciation Month, financing at $11,250 in total values on the 2019 Ram 1500 Classic Bighorn Crew Cab. Hurry in for great deals during the Ram Start Something New sales event. Financing for well-qualified buyers through Chrysler Capital. Not all buyers will qualify. Package values based on combined value of package items. Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery from dealer stock by 2 3 Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.